0: Chapter 2 of Conan and Shadows in the Moonlight by Robert E. Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 Olivia dreamed, and through her dreams crawled a suggestion of lurking evil, like a black serpent writhing through flower gardens. Her dreams were fragmentary and colorful, exotic shards of a broken, unknown pattern, until they crystallized into a scene of horror and madness, etched against a background of Cyclopean stones and pillars. She saw a great hall, whose lofty ceiling was upheld by stone columns, marching in even rows along the massive walls. Among these pillars fluttered great green and scarlet parrots, and the hall was thronged with black-skinned, hawk-faced warriors. They were not negroes. Neither they, nor their garments, nor weapons, resembled anything of the world the dreamer knew. They were pressing about one bound to a pillar, a slender, white-skinned youth, with a cluster of golden curls about his alabaster brow. His beauty was not altogether human, like the dream of a god chiseled out of living marble. The black warriors laughed at him, jeered and taunted in a strange tongue. The lithe, naked form writhed beneath their cruel hands. Blood trickled down the ivory thighs to splatter on the polished floor. The screams of the victims echoed through the hall, then lifting his head toward the ceiling and the skies beyond. He cried out a name in an awful voice. A dagger in an ebon hand cut short his cry, and the golden head rolled on the ivory breast. As if in answer to that desperate cry there was a rolling thunder, as of celestial chariot-wheels and a figure stood before the slayers, as if materialized out of empty air. The form was of a man, but no mortal man ever wore such an aspect of inhuman beauty. There was an unmistakable resemblance between him and the youth, who dropped lifeless in his chains, but the alloy of humanity that softened the godliness of the youth, was lacking in the features of the stranger awful and immobile in their beauty. The blacks shrank back before him, their eyes slits of fire. Lifting a hand, he spoke, and his tones echoed through the silent halls in deep, rich waves of sound. Like men in a trance, the black warriors fell back until they were ranged along the walls in regular lines. Then, from the stranger's chiselled lips, rang a terrible invocation and command: "Yag kulaniyak tha, suthala." At the blast of that awful cry, the black figures stiffened and froze. Over their limbs crept a curious rigidity, an unnatural petrification. The stranger touched the limp body of the youth, and the chains fell away from it. He lifted the corpse in his arms. Then, ere he turned away, his tranquil gaze swept again over the silent rows of ebon figures, and he pointed to the moon, which gleamed on through the casements. And they understood those tense waiting statues that had been men. Olivia awoke, starting up on her couch of branches, a cold sweat beating her skin. Her heart pounded loud in the silence. She glanced wildly about. Conan slept against his pillar, his head fallen upon his massive breast. The silvery radiance of the late moon crept through the gaping roof, throwing long white lines along the dusty floor. She could see the images dimly, black, tense, waiting. Fighting down a rising hysteria, She saw the moonbeams rest lightly on the pillars, and the shapes between. What was that? A tremor among the shadows where the moonlight fell. A paralysis of horror gripped her. For where there should have been the immobility of death, there was movement. A slow twitching, a flexing and writhing of ebon limbs, an awful scream burst from her lips as she broke the bonds that held her mute and motionless at her shriek conan shot erect teeth gleaming sword lifted the statues the statues oh my god the statues are coming to life and with the cry she sprang through a crevice in the wall burst madly through the hindering vines and ran 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 blind screaming witless until a grasp on her arm brought her up short, and she shrieked and fought against the arms that caught her, until a familiar voice penetrated the mist of her terror, and she saw Conan's face, a mask of bewilderment in the moonlight. "'What in Crom's name, girl? Did you have a nightmare?' His voice sounded strange and far away, with a sobbing gasp she threw her arms about his thick neck and clung to him convulsively crying in panting catches where are they do they follow us nobody followed us he answered she sat up still clinging to him and looked fearfully about her blind flight had carried her to the southern edge of the plateau just below them was the slope its foot masked in the thick shadows of the woods Behind them she saw the ruins looming in the high-swinging moon. "'Did you not see them? The statues! Moving, lifting their hands, their eyes glaring in the shadows. "'I saw nothing,' answered the barbarian uneasily. "'I slept more soundly than usual, because it has been so long since I have slumbered the night through, yet I don't think anything could have entered the hall without waking me.' "'Nothing entered?' A laugh of hysteria escaped her. It was something there already. Ah, Mithra! We lay down to sleep among them, like sheep making their bed in the shambles. "'What are you talking about?' he demanded. "'I woke at your cry, but before I had time to look about me I saw you rush out through the crack in the wall. I pursued you, lest you come to harm. I thought you had a nightmare.' "'So I did. She shivered. But the reality was more grisly than the dream. Listen. And she narrated all that she had dreamed and thought to see. Conan listened attentively. The natural skepticism of the sophisticated man was not his. His mythology contained ghouls, goblins, and necromancers. After she had finished he sat silent, absently toying with his sword the youth they tortured was like the tall man who came he asked at last as like his son to father she answered and hesitatingly if the mind could conceive of the offspring of a union of divinity and humanity it would picture that youth the gods of old times mated sometimes with mortal women our legends tell us what gods he muttered the nameless forgotten ones who knows They have gone back into the still waters of the lakes, the quiet hearts of the hills, the gulfs between the stars. Gods are no more stable than men. But if these shapes were men, blasted into iron images by some god or devil, how can they come to life?" "'There is witchcraft in the moon,' she shuddered. He pointed at the moon. While the moon shines on them they live. So I believe. But we were not pursued, murmured Conan, glancing toward the brooding ruins. You might have dreamed they moved. I am of a mind to return and see. No, no! she cried, clutching him desperately. Perhaps the spell upon them holds them in the hall. Do not go back. They will rend you limb from limb oh conan let us go into our boat and flee this awful island surely the hyrcanian ship has past us now let us go so frantic was her pleading that conan was impressed his curiosity in regard to the image was balanced by his superstition foes of flesh and blood he did not fear however great the odds but any hint of the supernatural roused all the dim monstrous instincts of fear that are the heritage of the barbarian he took the girl's hand and they went down the slope and plunged into the dense woods where the leaves whispered and nameless night-birds murmured drowsily under the trees the shadows clustered thick and conan swerved to avoid the denser patches his eyes roved continuously from side to side and often flitted into the branches above them. He went quickly, yet warily, his arm girdling the girl's waist so strongly that she felt as if she were being carried rather than guided. Neither spoke. The only sound was the girl's quick, nervous panting, the rustle of her small feet in the grass. So they came through the trees to the edge of the water shimmering like molten silver in the moonlight. We should have brought fruit for food, muttered Conan, but doubtless we'll find other islands. As well leave now as later. It's but a few hours till dawn." His voice trailed away. The painter was still made fast to the looping route, but on the other end was only a smashed and shattered ruin, half-submerged in the shallow water. A stifled cry escaped Olivia. Conan wheeled and faced the dense shadows a crouching image of menace. The noise of the night-birds was suddenly silent. A brooding stillness reigned over the woods. No breeze moved the branches, yet somewhere the leaves stirred faintly. Quick as a great cat, Conan caught up Olivia and ran. Through the shadows he raced like a phantom, while somewhere above and behind them sounded a curious rushing among the leaves that implacably drew closer and closer. Then the moonlight burst full upon their faces, and they were speeding up the slope of the plateau. At the crest Conan laid Olivia down and turned to glare back at the gulf of shadows they had just quitted. The leaves shook in a sudden breeze. That was all. He shook his mane with an angry growl. Olivia crept to his feet like a frightened child. Her eyes looked up at him, dark wells of horror. "'What are we to do, Conan?' she whispered. He looked at the ruins, stared again into the woods below. "'We'll go to the cliffs,' he declared, lifting her to her feet. "'Tomorrow I'll make a raft, and we'll trust our luck to the sea again.' It was not—not they that destroyed our boat. It was half-question, half-assertion. He shook his head, grimly taciturn. Every step of the way across that moon-haunted plateau was a sweating terror for Olivia. But no black shapes stole subtly from the looming ruins, and at last they reached the foot of the crags, which rose stark and gloomily majestic above them. There Conan halted in some uncertainty. At last selecting a place sheltered by a broad ledge, nowhere near any trees. "'Lie down and sleep if you can, Olivia,' he said. "'I'll keep watch.' But no sleep came to Olivia, and she lay watching the distant ruins and the wooded rim, until the stars paled, the east whitened, and dawn in rose and gold struck fire from the dew of the grass-blades. She rose stiffly, her mind reverting to all the happenings of the night. In the morning light some of its terrors seemed like figments of an overwrought imagination. Conan strode over to her, and his words electrified her. Just before dawn I heard the creak of timbers and the rasp and clack of cordage and oars. A ship has put in and anchored at the beach not far away. Probably the ship whose sail we saw yesterday. We'll go up the cliffs and spy on her." Up they went, and lying on their bellies among the boulders, saw a painted mast jutting up beyond the trees to the west. An Hyrcanian craft from the cut of her rigging, muttered Conan, I wonder if the crew---- A distant medley of voices reached their ears, and creeping to the southern edge of the cliffs. They saw a motley horde emerge from the fringe of trees along the western rim of the plateau and stand there a space in debate. There was much flourishing of arms, brandishing of swords, and loud, rough argument. Then the whole band started across the plateau toward the ruins at a slant that would take them close by the foot of the cliffs. "'Pirates!' whispered Conan, a grim smile on his thin lips. It's an Arcanian galley they've captured. Here, crawl among these rocks. Don't show yourself unless I call to you,' he instructed, having secreted her to his satisfaction among a tangle of boulders along the crest of the cliffs. "'I'm going to meet these dogs. If I succeed in my plan, all will be well, and we'll sail away with them. If I don't succeed, well—' Hide yourself in the rocks until they've gone, for no devils on this island are as cruel as these sea-wolves." And tearing himself from her reluctant grasp, he swung quickly down the cliffs. Looking fearfully from her airy, Olivia saw the band had neared the foot of the cliffs. Even as she looked, Conan stepped out from among the boulders and faced them sword in hand. They gave back with yells of menace and surprise, then halted uncertainly to glare at this figure which had appeared so suddenly from the rocks. There were some seventy of them, a wild horde made up of men from many nations, Cothians, Zamorians, Baruthinians, Corinthians, Shemites. Their features reflected the wildness of their natures. Many bore the scars of the lash or the branding-iron, there were cropped ears slit noses gaping eye sockets stumps of wrists marks of the hangman as well as scars of battle most of them were half naked but the garments they wore were fine gold braided jackets satin girdles silken breeches tattered stained with tar and blood vied with pieces of silver chased armor jewels glittered in nose rings and ear rings and in the hilts of their daggers. Over against this bizarre mob stood the tall Cimmerian, in strong contrast with his hard bronzed limbs and clean-cut vital features. "'Who are you?' they roared. "'Conan the Cimmerian!' His voice was like the deep challenge of a lion. "'One of the free companions. I mean to try my luck with the Red Brotherhood.' "'Who's your chief?' "'I, by Easter,' bellowed a bull-like voice, as a huge figure swaggered forward. "'A giant, naked to the waist, where his capacious belly was girdled by a wide sash that upheld voluminous silken pantaloons. "'His head was shaven except for a scalp-lock, his moustaches drooped over a rat-trap mouth.' Green shemitish slippers with upturned toes were on his feet, a long straight sword in his hand. Conan stared and glared. "'Sergius of Karustra by Krom!' "'Aye, by Ishtar,' boomed the giant, his small black eyes glittering with hate. "'Do you think I had forgot? sergius never forgets an enemy now i'll hang you up by the heels and skin you alive at him lads ay send your dogs at me big belly sneered conan with bitter scorn you were always a coward you gothic cur coward to me the broad face turned black with passion on guard you northern dog i'll cut out your heart in an instant the pirates had formed a circle about the rivals their eyes blazing their breath sucking between their teeth in bloodthirsty enjoyment high up among the crags olivia watched sinking her nails into her palms in her painful excitement without formality the combatants engaged sergius coming in with a rush quick on his feet as a giant cat for all his bulk curses hissed between his clenched teeth as he lustily swung and parried conan fought in silence his eyes slits of blue bale fire the kothian ceased his oaths to save his breath the only sounds were the quick scuff of his feet on the sward the panting of the pirate the ring and clash of steel the swords flashed like white fire in the early sun wheeling and circling. They seemed to recoil from each other's contact, then leap together again instantly. Sergius was giving back. Only his superlative skill had saved him thus far from the blinding speed of the Cimmerian's onslaught. A louder clash of steel, a sliding rasp, a choking cry. From the pirate horde a fierce yell split the morning as Conan's sword plunged through their captain's massive body. The point quivered an instant from between Sergius's shoulders, a hand's breadth of white fire in the sunlight. Then the Cimmerian wrenched back his steel, and the pirate chief fell heavily, face down, and lay in a widening pool of blood, his broad hands twitching for an instant. Conan wheeled toward the gaping corsairs, well you dogs he roared i've sent your chief to hell what says the law of the red brotherhood before any could answer a rat-faced Baruthian standing behind his fellows whirled a sling swiftly and deadly straight as an arrow sped the stone to its mark and conan reeled and fell as a tall tree falls to the woodman's axe up on the cliff olivia caught at the boulders for support the scene swam dizzily before her eyes all she could see was the cimmerian lying limply on the sward blood oozing from his head the rat-faced one yelped in triumph and ran to stab the prostrate man but a lean corinthian thrust him back what orontas would you break the law of the brotherhood you dog no law is broken snarled the baruthian "'No law? Why, you dog, the man you have just struck down is by just rights our captain.' "'Nay!' shouted Aratus. "'He was not of our band, but an outsider. "'He had not been admitted to fellowship. "'Slaying Sergius does not make him captain, as would have been the case had one of us killed him. "'But he wished to join us,' retorted the Corinthian. "'He said so.' At that a great clamor arose, some siding with Arathus, some with the Corinthian, whom they called Ivanus. Oaths flew thick, challenges were passed, hands fumbled at sword-hilts. At last a Shemite spoke up above the clamor. "'Why do you argue over a dead man?' "'He's not dead,' answered the Corinthian, rising from beside the prostrate Cimmerian. "'It was a glancing blow. He's only stunned.' At that the clamor rose anew, Aratus trying to get at the senseless man, and Ivanos finally bestriding him, sword in hand, and defying all and sundry. Olivia sensed that it was not so much in defense of Conan that the Corinthian took his stand, but in opposition to Aratus. Evidently these men had been Sergius's lieutenants, and there was no love lost between them after more arguments it was decided to bind conan and take him along with them his fate to be voted on later the cimmerian who was beginning to regain consciousness was bound with leather girdles and then four pirates lifted him and with many complaints and curses carried him along with the band which took up its journey across the plateau once more the body of sergius was left where it had fallen a sprawling, unlovely shape on the sun-washed sward. Up among the rocks Olivia lay stunned by the disaster. She was incapable of speech or action, and could only lie there and stare with horrified eyes as the brutal horde dragged her protector away. How long she lay there she did not know. Across the plateau she saw the pirates reach the ruins and enter, dragging their captive. She saw them swarming in and out of the doors and crevices, prodding into the heaps of debris and clambering about the walls. After a while a score of them came back across the plateau and vanished among the trees on the western rim, dragging the body of Sergius after them, presumably to cast into the sea. About the ruins the others were cutting down trees and securing material for a fire. Olivia heard their shouts unintelligible in the distance, and she heard the voices of those who had gone into the woods echoing among the trees. Presently they came back into sight, bearing casks of liquor and leathern sacks of food. They headed for the ruins, cursing lustily under their burdens. Of all this Olivia was but mechanically cognizant. Her overwrought brain was almost ready to collapse. Left alone and unprotected, she realized how much the protection of the Cimmerian had meant to her. There intruded, vaguely, a wonderment at the mad pranks of fate that could make the daughter of a king the companion of a red-handed barbarian. With it came a revulsion toward her own kind. Her father and Shah Amarath, they were civilized men and from them she had had only suffering. She had never encountered any civilized man who treated her with kindness unless there was an ulterior motive behind his actions. Conan had shielded her, protected her, and, so far, demanded nothing in return. Laying her head in her rounded arms, she wept, until distant shouts of rival revelry roused her to her own danger. She glanced from the dark ruins about which the fantastic figures, small in the distance, weaved and staggered to the dusky depths of the green forest. Even in her terrors in the ruins, the night before had been only dreams. The menace that lurked in those green, leafy depths below was no figment of nightmare. Were Conan slain or carried away captive, Her only chance would lie between giving herself up to the human wolves of the sea or remaining alone on that devil-haunted island. As the full horror of her situation swept over her, she fell forward in a swoon. End of chapter 2